Hi, welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast about culture and news and stuff from the most interesting city between Tiny Town and Little Town. I'm Jared Jacang Mayor, your co-host. I'm here with co-co-hosts Vanessa Martinez and Josh Johnson. How you guys doing? Great. And as a special guest, we have local freelance writer James Carlson, who has a new feature story in 5280 Magazine titled The Biggest Green Scam in America. How's it going, James? Pretty good. How you doing? So we're going to talk about uh, James's article first off, but then we're also going to be talking about the battles to put a legalization of marijuana measure on the ballot and some of the insider fighting going on with that. We're also going to be talking about the quarter-life crisis and skateboarding. And before we get into that, I have two notes, two housekeeping things, just about a little bit of the change of format. Some of you listeners might be noticing where our original large co-hosts, Joel Warner and John Dicker, they are not going to be on as much, but that's a good thing because now we've rotated in some other really good co-hosts. That's you guys. Yeah. Are, we, la- are we large? Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. I think we should call Vanessa Coco host. Coco. 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 Yeah, that's how Coco you host. Her. Okay. And I like uh, that. Coco. Then, then the other thing I want to get to is our theme song, Colorado Girls. I know how much some people love it and. But more people hate it. I hate it. Including us. It was more of a thing that we started (laughs) off. We needed a a song, and we chose this cover song of California Girls, which I'm sure is just like a brain worm that gets into everyone's head (laughs) every time they listen to this. So uh, we are looking for a new theme song or a new intro and outro song, and we're not having much luck choosing one. So we're going to be throwing it out to you, the listener, and I'm, I'm speaking in the in the singular here because you are probably our only listener. And unless you help us figure out a new theme song, we're going to be sticking with Colorado Girls for a while. And so what, what should be the criteria, guys, for a good theme song that maybe people should go with? I think it should relate to Colorado in some way. However, um, Big Head Todd and the Monsters are out. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm really glad this is happening. I've hated that song. I mean, really, from the beginning, I think I sent you guys, like... Please don't that was use you? that. Yeah, that was me. That was I was, you, the I was the listener wow. then. <laughs> okay, great. So yes. listen long enough, and you'll be a host. <laughs> you, could, you too could be a Coco. Yeah, that we're, we are not lying about that. And so, uh, drop us a line either on our Facebook page or our Twitter, or just go to DenverDiatribe.com. You can find an email contact for us, and please let us know. And you know, maybe we'll throw out some of the suggestions in next week's episode, and um, maybe take a vote to see what we are going to be using from here on out for our theme song. So let's get to the first topic, the biggest green scam in America. James, this is a story about a Ponzi scheme that occurred here in Denver having to do with green energy. Give us a a breakdown on who some of the characters are in this. Uh, Let's see. Our main character is Wade McKelvey. He's a Denver native, and he uh, kind of a Tony Robbins type character, big financial guru, pump you up tell you what you need to hear. He's done some interesting past businesses and then got connected with this green energy company called Mantria out of Philadelphia and uh, turns out to be a big Ponzi scheme. So how much are we talking about when all the house of cards evidently fell down? How much did he actually suck in from people? They raised a little over 50 million. The returns were something like 17 million, I think. Um, So total losses like 35 or 33 wasn't exactly sure on the exact numbers. Had some different ones. So was most of that money came from Coloradans, correct? Yep. Yeah, yep. and uh, you talk a little bit in the story about how Colorado's was 
primed for this kind of Ponzi scheme. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, you know, I mean, how definitely you... definitely. Just, uh, you know, kind of the mountain lifestyle, at least my perception of it, uh, is, is very geared towards green living and loving the outdoors. And even the conservative uh, people that I talked to who tended to, you know, hate on Al Gore and think global warming is a, you know, bad, bad word. You know, even they like the idea of saving the, you know, saving the trees and uh, recycling the garbage and all that stuff. So, But you also point out that during this era where uh, they were pulling in a lot of this money around, uh, what, 2006 to 2008, mm-hmm. approximately, this was during the tenure of, uh, of Bill Ritter as governor, and his mm-hmm. big his main platform piece was create, recreating Colorado as this new energy economy, mm-hmm. uh, recruiting wind power, all these other things. How do you think that factored into this scam? Well, I, I just think that having it on the minds of people uh, certainly certainly bolstered their claims. Um, and just having, uh, it seems like I, I wasn't here in 2006, 7, 8, uh, but um, I think that um, it seems like Bill Ritter was a pretty popular governor, kind of across the board a little bit uh, more than others. So he he seemed to bring bring, bring that sort of credibility where you know if the governor's talking about it and all the business and regulatory communities getting in line, then made it a ripe landscape for someone to, to make claims. Tell us Maybe real quickly you what have written that. <laughs> well, what, what 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 were exactly some of the claim? What were right. they claiming? What were they trying to what sell? What were they here? selling? Uh, they're selling something called uh, biochar. Uh, which is a legitimate uh, technology, but uh, their technology was not only going to produce biochar, but also going to take all streams of waste, including nuclear waste, uh, at, at one point they claimed, and turn it into usable products or uh, you know, plastic tire, plastic you know fence posts or stuff like that. It's all bunk. Josh, we, weren't you in a heavy metal band called Biochar? <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> we disbanded. <laughs> They turned out to be a Ponzi scheme, too. We were. <laughs> we were. Our fans were music very Ponzi disappointed. Scheme. You know, it's, it's, it seems like not only is our, our green technologies on the minds of investors, as, a, as there's a lot of support for investing in it, but, but also it plays into a, a fears and, and a certain imagination. You know, I mean, we're, like the, our environment's degrading. We would love if we could turn nuclear waste into something positive. You know, so, mm-hmm. I mean, people seem maybe to have more of an emotional investment into green technologies than they would with other investments. Is that something that he played into? Yeah, definitely. They talked about saving the world. You know, we're going to be, uh, uh, we're going to save the world. I mean, he, I think he actually said that at one point. He also liked to play on this being the biggest, the next big thing. Um, you know, this was oil in the 20s type of thing. This is Microsoft in the 80s, he'd say. And I think that uh, it, it was it was kind of a mix of people wanting to do something good for the world and also also just <laughs> they liked the idea that they were going to be rich make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so. we also we don't have you know especially with the new renewable energy, um, any kind of uh, new energy economy type technologies coming out. I don't think a lot of us have a lot of information to be able to process any of the stuff anyway. So if somebody comes up and tells us, hey, biochar, you know, it's like, oh, biodiesel. Like so many people invested in biodiesel when, you know, this this first came out as something that was going to be the next big thing, that why would you really have any, you know, unless you're going to be really, really meticulous about your own research and go in and do the, the investigations yourself, which at this point I always would. Yeah, they definitely played on the this being on the cusp of something new. And so you're allowed to make 
claims and people aren't going to know whether or not they're true or not. I mean, it's a big uh, frontier out there. And so, mm-hmm. sure, maybe we can turn nuclear waste in. I mean, they're saying it. They've got all these websites. Uh, why not believe it? Yeah. What amazed me about this particular Ponzi scheme, not only it was interesting just because it dealt with, with green energy, but just Wade McKelvey, right, Wade McKelvey, mm-hmm. as a character, um, as you wrote, just so over the top, prostitutes, he seemed to be drunk at all of these investor meetings, and you really told the story through one of his former assistants. Uh, what was his name? Taylor Romero. Taylor Romero. How did you get Taylor Romero to talk to you and give you all this inside information? That was just a gold, gold mine. I, I called him, and he was excited about talking. He had kind of been screwed by the thing as well. He felt like he was going to do something big, and when it all fell apart, I think he felt just as burned as, as some other people. What's one of the anecdotes that he gave you about McKelvey that sticks out in your mind? I mean, I, I think the lead, lead of the whole story is, is pretty interesting. Uh, Wade McKelvey's wife uh, knew that uh, Wade McKelvey likes to sleep around with uh, prostitutes, some of them transgender prostitutes. And uh, Wade McKelvey would give the keys to their bends, to their family bends, to the prostitute to drive around because, heck, Wade's drunk all the time. And one time Taylor was at the office and uh, Wade McKelvey's wife said, you know, you need to go across the across the way to the hotel, pick up the keys because this prostitute's driving around the bends and nag, John, nag, nag. <laughs> Your typical marriage stuff. The ball know. and chain. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's too many to count, uh, really. Um, so we only have a, a time for a few more questions on this. What do you guys want to ask? I don't know that I have a specific question, but I always find it interesting that at the center of all these Ponzi schemes is a personality. Mm-hmm. It seems like if, if you're an investor and you're looking into in, in investing, I would rather some boring, you know, uh, sober, tied with a books full of charts and numbers that I don't quite understand, as opposed to somebody who's, you know, funny and inspirational and, and fun to be around. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Or like some totally introverted, geeky. Yeah, that's who I would know, put, put my money to. Yeah, you know, not a, a former football player. No, uh, no. <laughs> no offense to football players. So at the end of all this, what what did you take from why people actually gave this guy millions and millions of of dollars? And some of these people weren't. It wasn't like they were institutional investors or speculators. I mean, this was people give it, putting their four hundred one k's. He actually encouraged people to to cash out and stick all their money with him. Yeah. What I found was a lot of people had lost, uh, almost all of the people that I talked to had lost a lot of money in the early 2000s. Most of them were nearing retirement age, and they were looking for a way to get it back. Um, they also all tended to be kind of, gosh, how can I nicely say this? D- dumbasses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are your words. Um, yeah, I mean, they all... Suckers. Uh, they were. I mean, they bought into things that, even as they're describing them to me, sounded ludicrous. What the hell? hell are you thinking so there is no way to get rich quick you know if you're I told actually, you're gonna get rich in the next couple of months because they had they had major returns in the first right they, they, they were promised up until the yeah. end when yeah. their latest investment was right. screwed over. i had a woman actually tell me well uh, it's too good to be true uh she hated that saying well why why is it too good to be true yeah. why can't something <laughs> phenomenally great happen to us you know, it's the American dream, and that's why I invested $500,000 of my mom's retirement, you know. I don't know. I don't are know there, what this are there, are there criminal charges now? I mean, no. Is gonna... The FBI's been contacting a lot of the investors, but I don't mm-hmm. think that – no, there's no charges yet. Yeah, and that's what I really couldn't believe because, I mean, this guy walks away with, you know, a blatant scam, lying to people, millions of millions of dollars, all these victims, and then as you 
as you chart out at the end of your story, he seems to be trying to put together another scam there in Florida with his transsexual prostitute. Yeah, he's just allowed to, you know, it's 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 impunity, really, that you're allowed to act this way. And you, you talked about regulatory bureaucracy being kind of the holdup in a lot of figuring this out, but is also the same thing is, like, is there enough funding for this? I mean, is there really... Can Funding the for regulatory these types of investigations. Yeah. Can the regulatory agencies actually get ahead of this kind of stuff and figure it out before it all blows up? No, I, uh, I don't know about the funding issue, but I definitely had a securities lawyer tell me that, you know, the SEC is pretty good once they file charges, but they suck at getting them beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually after investors have lost all their money that mm-hmm. they finally come in. Uh, why that is, I don't know. I, there have been some questions about whether or not they're uh, funded properly or not, but uh, they say, you know, we're, we've got all the tools we need to come in too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so we're going to have to leave it there on that topic. Uh, if you want to read James Carlson's full story, we'll have a link on our website, neverdiatribe.com, or just pick up the latest issue of 5280 Magazine. It's a great story. Next topic, marijuana legalization. Vanessa, you chose this topic, which I was I got pretty worked up about, just <laughs> so frustrated. T- tell us what's going on. Right now, currently, there are eight separate potential ballot issues that will be on the ballot in 2012, sorry, concerning some kind of marijuana, either decriminalization, legalization, um, re-legalization, and this is where some of the problem starts coming in. There's The reason there are so many ballot measures, or there will be so many ballot measures, is because all of these groups are fighting about the language. And really, there it's not just language. At first, it I started to think, well, is this really just about semantics? But it's not. They all do want something different. So not entirely, but for example, uh, legalization outright, some of these groups want to make sure that there is no regulatory uh, oversight, which means that we would not be able to tax the marijuana that is sold. There is already a group out that has that is out collecting signatures for uh, their ballot measure, and it's called the Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol Act of 2012. And, and this, is, this are, is Mason... Uh, Tivert and Brian Vicente, who've kind of been around the marijuana issue in Colorado yes. for a while, but Mason Tivert, especially with Safer, his whole thing is if you remember the campaigns that they ran in past years where it's all about trying to pair marijuana with alcohol. It seems like you demonize alcohol in order to show that marijuana is should be legalized. Yeah, and I think that's a it's a very personal issue for Mason Tivert. You'll talk to him and he'll tell you that there are um, issues in his past that make it such. So He's pretty open about that, and Brian Vicente is one of the probably the most one of the most prominent marijuana attorneys in Colorado. He uh, went to bat for a couple in Fort Collins years ago. They were kind of the very first really big medical marijuana case in the state, and he's been around you know since then, been very vocal and very visible. He has joined with Tivert to present this first ballot measure and they're out there gathering signatures on it. Now, the rest of the groups are really upset with them because they say they were not um, they were not asked to participate in, in putting the ballot language together. Tivert says that's not true. We opened it up. So And then one of one of these groups or one of these sub sub factions sent out this press release that got posted on different websites. What the? What tell us? Tell us what was going on with that. Well, this is a press release from um, I believe it was Paul Danish, who is also sponsoring his own. So, Legalize 2012 is another group that is out there. They're based in Boulder, and they want full legalization. The difference between them and Tivert 
and Vicente is that they just want decriminalization of marijuana, not medical marijuana. That's another thing we need to talk about, by the way. We're talking about marijuana for everybody here. They simply want decriminalization, decriminalization of a certain amount of marijuana, whereas the legalized 2012 wants to fully legalize marijuana across the, board. across the board. They believe that it is a human right. They also want no taxation of it. So this would be just allowing people to have marijuana as you have, you know, you can grow it in your own backyard and eat it like, you know, you do cucumbers. It's like you would be able to garden it and harvest it and and ingest it the way that you And you so choose. their press release that they sent out. Well, the gist of it was we disagree with the use of the uh, with the language of regulate marijuana like alcohol act of 2012. We disagree with what it's called. And so they want it to be called something really 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 um very, like House Bill something something. And it's like nobody would ever launch a campaign with a name like that. And so they're taking issue with the name because they think it's marketing. But they're really showing they're really naive about the way that they're going about their campaign. It's Who kind of silly. Who would ever thought that you'd name a ballot measure in a certain way that you'd want people to vote for it? Exactly. Why What's would you possibly – uh, apparently, it's it, you know it's it's insincere or there's some kind of dishonesty in it. That's oh, that's the God. notion that you get from these people, right? But here's the thing that got me so that really blew my top about this stupid press release that uh, Legalize 2012 sent out was they were not only nitpicking about the name; it's saying, oh, you need to have this very generic title for it. But then they're also objecting to the use of the word marijuana. Because oh. they wanted to see the word cannabis because, as they wrote, uh, marijuana is a racist term that was coined by the government and blah, blah, blah. blah. Madness era, yeah. In the really, 1920s really... against Mexicans. <laughs> James, Josh, what did, you, what did you guys make of this entire thing? I have, I have somewhat of a background working with lefty groups. And, and, I, and I sometimes find that there is so much infighting that it, it really diminishes their effectiveness. So from the outside and people that may or may not, and, and those people need convincing to support your cause, to watch this bickering go on just turns you off to the whole thing. Totally. So, I mean, you can sit and say that it's marketing and talk about the name of the bill, but the, the significance and consequences of the name of the bill are less than, than this infighting. Yeah. You know, and this is something that I, I think that these two groups need to figure this out, but do they need to figure it out in public? No. Like, why are they doing this in public? Can't you just, like, get together over a coffee clutch? Figure it out, come out unified, and be done. Just smoke a bowl and figure it yeah, out. Right? Smoke yeah, smoke a bowl. Light up the peace pipe, people. <laughs> it really is astounding, and it's just so amazingly frustrating to see these groups completely take each other down like this. And, it, and, it's, and it's the same thing within the medical marijuana world, too, because there's so cross, so much crossover. Vanessa, you had sent us this, sent us this link that Patty Calhoun of Westward had written about. She had, she had moderated this panel a few weeks ago. The Great Legalization The Great Legalization debate. Panel, and there was like five people up there, and immediately, I mean, it's like they didn't even get to any sort of substance of any issue. Immediately, they just, all these personalities on stage start tearing each other down and tearing each other apart and accusing each other of all these different things. It's just, it's it's really astounding because those types of personalities, they, they scare away all the legitimate people who mm -hmm. think that this is an important issue that needs to be addressed by the voters or by our, our elected officials. But then when you see these people tearing each other out, you know, anyone that's sort of the reasonable people want to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. And all you all you get is these caricatures, these nut jobs. Um, they're fighting with each other. Yeah, it's like the it's like Josh, Josh said, like, the you know, the peace activists. You look you look at these like, you know, when everything was said and done with all the WTO protests and everything and 
some of the younger people had fled. There was there's like these people left standing, and they're just they seem like nut jobs at the end of the day. You right. know, they're like the it's like the last old guy on the corner with a street sign, and there's you know nothing's happening because he's not listening to anybody else who's who who wants to talk. I can remember going to potlucks where we're, we're working out some sort of campaign against a, a greater issue and we end up spending 45 minutes um, bitching because someone brought fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, Patty seems to think, she also wrote in the column that she thinks, she seems to think that they can work it out. And I think Josh is right. Like, you know, if, if they stop bickering in public and do something behind the scenes, behind the scenes that they could actually get something worked out. I don't know that it's possible at this point. There really are eight really kind of unique approaches that people want to take. And one of them is simply to legalize cannabis as as hemp, which means, you know, to, they want to use it as an agricultural product before the plant flowers into marijuana. They want to use it for clothing and food and all of these things. And that I don't think is ever going to happen. But it's still, it's very different from people who want to legalize marijuana to be able to smoke it. Last comments, James? I was just going to say, it seems like there's a dynamic between Legalized 2012 and the Vicente Group. Legalized 2012 is kind of the grassroots uh, people. You know, they just want to smoke their pot and keep the corporatization out of it. And Vicente, it seems like, uh, represents, uh, you know, the big guy coming in and trying to take the issue away from the people who really need it. I kind of get that sense. I I don't know if I've actually read her say that. I think that's, that's a pretty on. accurate description of what's what's going on here, and maybe a lot of that friction. But the you know I'm going to put my money down on Vicente and mm-hmm. Mason mm-hmm. Tivert because sure. they have demonstrated that they have been able to get measures passed. They have been able to work the public system because it the grassroots people their their hearts are in the right place. But if you don't understand the true political landscape of how things actually get done, that on Capitol Hill the issues that get that get passed, the you know the support that it gets is is completely amounts to how much lobbyists you have working on the campaign. I mean, it's, you just have to have that, that more global understanding right. of politics to make things happen. And, and I think that that's and, one of the reasons why probably Tivert and Vicente tried to get ahead of the curve on this to establish themselves as the quote-unquote grown-ups in the room, even mm-hmm. though I'm, I'm remiss to use that, yeah. <laughs> that term. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and if they'll be able to um, herd some of the cats and figure this stuff out. So our next topic has to do with quarter-life crisis and skateboarding. James, tell us, how, how do we arrive at this topic? Yeah, I, uh, I didn't know this was going to be a topic whenever I raised it with Vanessa the other day. I thought it was a very intimate and personal thing, and yet she's exploiting it now. Um, yeah, I'm about to be 30. I guess I've already been through my quarter-life crisis. I kind of term it a, a third of a life crisis for me. I got out of college. I realized uh, kind of what I did. I had some success. And now I'm like, well, what the hell else do I do? So I'm going to take up skateboarding. And it's mm. like the mm-hmm. 30-year-old version of buying a Porsche. Do you have health insurance? Um, since my parents are listening, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and have you ever skateboarded before? No. Uh, wait, wait, in a Dick's Sporting Goods. When oh, I really? pulled one off the shelf and made a this fool of myself in front of like a six-year-old. So, yeah. This is why I think this is such a great topic because he hasn't done this before. We were talking to somebody else yeah. that night who has who's going back to skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Our friend AJ at about the same age, and uh, but it, I think it's a little bit different getting back on the board than it is just then it is just the board taking it up. What, what kind of skateboarding are we talking here? You need a longboard and just sort of. I don't know why, why you're asking you me. Be, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to look to, cool. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're talking some Tony Hawk shit. That's what you're. Right. I'm going to go straight to the half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, you know, we have some. Uh, the other reason I brought this up is because Jared has, uh, Jared wrote about uh, quarter life crisis back, you know, way back when, when I he was, was at a my quarter one. life. Yeah. Uh, you know, all those years ago. So I thought maybe he could give you some some advice. And, well, and it is interesting though because you, there is a thing. There's now, now you know, the midlife crisis has been long well established. People uh, in their 40s and 50s, and then the quarter life crisis was coined because of people getting out of college usually and having all these ambitions and having no way to make that happen. And now it seems that we, you know, we need to have like the in between between the quarter life and the midlife uh, for people entering their early 30s, which all of us are within. And so I like the third life crisis, but it, I, I'm fully in support of that, of picking up the skateboard and just going out and uh, right, going out and doing it. You're going to get to watch me. We hope so. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, you know that uh, <laughs> that John Dicker, our very own John Dicker, longtime skateboarder, as am I, that his, his third life crisis uh, to get back into skateboarding was building a skateboard ramp a mini ramp within his wife's candle factory so we we can definitely take you there and uh have you and have you drop in a few times (laughs) oh that would be a great and we'll do some video for all the listeners at home too so we can watch you we can follow it'll be skate or cry (laughs) (laughs) put it to some the the theme song from rocky yeah you know you have a montage of the falls until you finally conquer your third life crisis I really didn't expect this to be public, um, so <laughs> I'm disappointed in this whole thing. I was going to go to a church parking lot by myself, but okay, sure. <laughs> now it's out there. Let's go for it. Now it's out there. Do you have a board yet? No. You buy one? No, no, no. I, I'm completely open. I need all okay. suggestions. Okay. So. Okay. Anyone out there with any extra equipment? I think I have an old skateboard deck in my shed um, that I can donate. So we need some trucks. We need some wheels, bearings. Extra padding, maybe. Yeah, maybe definitely. A, maybe one of those inflatable sumo suits. Helmets, <laughs> some helmets. Um, I recommended tra- taking up snowboarding first, but you know, yeah, I mean, just snowboard? for a little, uh, pa- a little padding, it cushions. You know? No, I so don't. I don't snowboard. I ski a little. I used to rollerblade a lot, the full-on grunge thing when I was younger, down the stairs, off the you know yes. ramps and stuff. So I'm not completely unaware of what's going to be happening. To you me. know, <laughs> this, this may be off-topic, but. Where did rollerblading go? I mean, it seems like a really reasonable mode of transportation, no, especially it's not. in an urban it area. Abs- it should it go looks, away. It looks it's, retarded. Oh, I understand it's, it's that. It's awful. Yeah, it nobody should stupid. ever do I that. I think that it went away not out of practicality issues, but out of pure style issues. Because there's that old joke. It What's should. the hardest thing about rollerblading? Watching people do it. Telling your pe- your parents you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> and that ruined it. But you could see like business people putting their work shoes, you know, in their backpacks and putting on the rollerblades and getting to work. Well, it's like people who use those, they look equally gay. Uh, what are they? Segways. Yes, Segways. And that, and that was about, Segway is an awesome machine. I was riding, I've been riding them around. They're astounding. But really? you cannot. No. Yeah. I rode one in the Denver skate park once. That is absolutely yeah, not what me. you do when you're I have having a picture of me riding around the Denver <laughs> skate park with all the kids, like all the cool guys sort of sneering at me. But little did they know that I was, I was starting up a whole short-lived movement. <laughs> Extreme segueing. Yeah, the, the problem is, is that there's no way you can look cool on a segway. Like standing there, you no. look like no. you're waiting in line mm-hmm. at the pharmacist or something, like while you're scooting around town. So I like when they have cops on segways because you don't take them seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah on segways when there's a cop standing there leaning slightly forward, <laughs> like you can push him. Well, how's he supposed to grab his gun anyway? <laughs> yeah, I mean that just doesn't make. All sense. right. So speaking of off topic, we better we better move on to some loves and or hates 
Uh, James Carlson, you're our guest. You go first. L- what do you want to love or hate on this week? Uh, I'm going to hate on the dude at Park Tavern last night uh, in Capitol Hill who was sitting with his son, young son, and talking on the cell phone for about 15 minutes while his son just sat there. And I just think that's pretty uncool. I'm kind of a big hater of people talking on their cell phones with other people around anyway, but with their son just sat there looking bored. I felt like I wanted to go play a game with him or something. I think we can all support that. Vanessa? Mm-hmm. I'm going to hate on the um, El Paso Club in Colorado Springs, which took a vote this week. It's a it's an gentleman's club that uh, for writers and they invite it's it's just you know it's a, it's a membership club but they voted by 70% not to allow women in mm. in 2011 why wouldn't you I know I mean I wouldn't want to go <laughs> all a bunch of dudes seriously um, I'm gonna love on this week and it's been open for a little while and Loda one up the um, the arcade bar and uh, they have I refer to it as life-size Jenga and somebody corrected me isn't Jenga just already life-size but they have two by fours Jenga that are about as like, cut up prob- into Jenga pieces. Yeah, that's a, they're like five feet tall, and they'll sell you a forty. But I would definitely recommend going in the afternoon because you get the you know meathead Lodo crowd at night, and it gets kind of crowded. But you can go down there and get a beer and twenty five cent arcade and Jenga, ski oh, ball nice. too. Ski ball. Nice. I want to hate on people bitching about how their tax dollars are going to pay for public art. And this, I was reminded about this because there was a big feature story in this Sunday's Denver Post that just looked at various public art a dia in denver and how much it cost and i could just i read all the comments in on the online version where people are just immediately bitching about i can't believe that a million dollars went for this or that thing not that you know i'm not all about bitching about ugly public art and how expensive it was but the fact that people mistake that it's their tax dollars going to pay for it for example at dia and at a lot of other these a lot of these other facilities those are being paid for by the bonds, the revenue bonds that they take out to build these large projects. And there's there's laws at the state level and at the Denver level that says 1% of those bonds that are floated um, have to go to pay for public art for these big capital construction projects. So example, for example, the demon horse at DIA, which everyone loves to, loves to hate or like me, just loves, uh, it was actually paid for by the airlines. The airlines are paying off those bonds that went to pay for that piece of public art. So taxpayer dollars are never, ever involved in that, although I do think that we can have a debate about very ugly pieces like the dancers in front of the The aliens. uh, The alien dancers. So that is all the uh, alien dancing we have time for this week. How's that for a out segue? Go to our uh, Facebook page. Go to our Twitter page. Tell us what you think about this episode, what we are going to be having for our next theme song. So for James, Vanessa, Josh, I'm Jared, and we are out. Close your eyes and